my button. There we go. All right, we are recording. Um, I'm going to give you, we're in uh, the end of chapter three in the book of Daniel. I'm going to give you the brief um, sort of overview of where the chapter has been, what we've seen in the last three or four sessions. Um, let's see. Israel as a country has had warning after warning from God in the Old Testament about idolatry and about obeying God and the things he has told them to do and be, and they have not done well. So as a punishment, God allowed a guy named Nebuchadnezzar to take over Israel, and he took with him several young people, young teens, um, men, young men to train them and sort of make them into Babylonians. Babylonia was uh, a, the world kingdom, the biggest kingdom in the world. At that time, Nebuchadnezzar was the king. They, the Jews, um, were being punished for dis disobedience and for idolatry. As a punishment, these guys get taken into the most idolatrous country uh, in the world, Babylonia. Um, even in the book of Revelation, when you read about Babylon, uh, it's all about idolatry and about pagan religion and many gods and that kind of thing. So God's with his friends, Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, through several different trials, including a fiery furnace we saw last week because they would not compromise. That's one of the two themes of this book. Don't compromise your faith, even if you're in a pagan world, a pagan society. So um, let's see, I'm skipping along here. Uh, so Daniel's been rewarded, as have his three friends, for their um, faithfulness, and the king knows that Daniel can interpret dreams, if you will. So there's a statue, a 90-foot statue that this king makes to worship. He has not learned his lesson. He's had several warnings. Um, and he's still a, a polytheist. He's trying to get everybody to worship him through this idol. But it uh, doesn't go so well, as I told you, because of the boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not worship it. They get thrown into a fiery furnace. There's a fourth figure in there last week we saw, which was almost certainly Christ before the manger, God protecting them. They're unharmed. They come out and the king is just blown away um, with that news. So where we pick up the story is the very, very end of chapter uh, three, verse 30. That's where we left off last time. I'll just put that down there. So the king, it says, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. They already were high officials, so he's, somehow they're promoted even more, much to the um, anger of those that were actually Chaldeans or Babylonians who hated that these foreigners were getting high positions. Let's pick it up in chapter four. Until this point, Nebuchadnezzar has seen God work in other people's lives, okay? Um, and But he has not had a firsthand encounter with God like he's about to have in this chapter. Chapter 4 might be the weirdest chapter in the whole Old Testament, believe it or not. Um, and the reason is, the whole Old Testament is the Jewish scriptures, right? Okay, so the Jewish scriptures are written in Hebrew. Daniel, the whole book is written in Aramaic, which is unusual to begin with. Why is chapter four so unusual? It's because it's the only chapter in the whole Old Testament written by a guy that's not a Jew. 
I thought you said Daniel wrote Daniel. He did. And he may have edited this chapter, but he didn't write chapter four. King Nebuchadnezzar writes this chapter. That's very unusual that a non-Jew would write in the Jewish scriptures. We'll see why. This is basically King Nebuchadnezzar's testimony, where he uh, is going to tell you how he finally came to be, become a believer in God, the Jewish God, not many gods. He's not one of many gods. That's what he's been so far, the God of Israel. But we know there's only one God. So anyway, let's read chapter four, and then we'll um, talk about it. By the way, just a little backstory here, one last thing. Nebuchadnezzar is about to disobey God again, and God, instead of snuffing him out, is going to make him crazy for seven years to humble him, because Nebuchadnezzar suffers from extreme pride. Pride about his kingdom, pride about his riches, pride about his power, pride about his glory. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was, um, it is thought, the greatest builder in the ancient world. How many have heard of the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the world? Um, some of them were underground, and they even had a way of air conditioning that whole area, and uh, it was incredible. Um, he built all kinds of things. The city was built with a 70-foot wall all the way around. You can imagine seven stories high all the way around. Just incredible building this guy had done. So are those great accomplishments? They are. But he refuses to give God the glory. He wants all the glory for himself, hence the term pride. We're going to see him get humbled and then come to faith. King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 1, chapter 4. By the way, those of you that are here and those of you on Zoom, so that I know you're awake, say amen. amen. That was good. One person even waved back there. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. You may know from reading the New Testament where you read Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, whatever, the way letters were written in those days was you wouldn't start, if I'm writing a letter to Ken, I wouldn't say, dear Ken, write the whole letter and then say sincerely or love in Christ, Joe. That's a Western ways we do letters, right? In that culture, you would write a letter. You would say your name first and then who you're writing to and then a greeting. That's what he's doing there. He's saying, I'm the author of the letter, King Nebuchadnezzar. He is a Gentile, a non-Jew. To, notice who he's writing to, everybody. To the nations and peoples of every language you live in all the earth. Meaning what? It's a letter to you and every other human being. May you prosper greatly. Just a, a wish of great blessing. Verse 2. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. We've said before in this Bible study, signs and wonders are sort of synonyms for miracles, okay? He knows that God gave Daniel the ability to interpret and understand and even know his dream when he wouldn't tell anybody what it was. Remember that in the earlier chapters? He also knows that God protected Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this fiery furnace thing, just broke the laws of 
a science, right? Where you get in that something that hot, you burn up instantly. They were totally fine. Their clothes didn't even smell of smoke. We learned last week, remember the in, in chapter three? So he saw all those signs. So if you're thinking, oh, he became a believer. Not yet. He's writing this after what's about to occur. Okay. He's going to tell you the story of how it all happened. So, but he wants to tell you his pleasure to tell you and I about all the miraculous signs and wonders the most God has performed, uh, the most high God has performed for me. Most high God sounds like it's the highest God out of many gods. That's not what he means here. We'll see that at the end of the chapter. He knows there's only one God now and he worships that God. But the key thing for you and me in verse two is this. He's pleased to tell us. Are you, am I, pleased to tell others who don't know about Jesus Christ about him? You don't have to be a theologian to witness or tell your story to other people about what Jesus has done for you. The beauty of a testimony is this. I can say to you, Jesus Christ has changed my life in these ways, okay? That is not something anybody can refute, right? You can't say, no, he didn't. No, he did. I would know, right? I know what I couldn't do. I spoke with somebody a week ago who was hopelessly, listen to this, 35 years addicted to something. And he said he tried everything and couldn't come out from under the addiction and finally gave up and came to Jesus Christ. And the, the desire for that went away like that. And he knows there's no way it was me. That's a testimony. You can share your testimony. I used to live this way. I used to be this way. God has changed me. I'm not perfect, but here's what he's done. Very, very valuable testimony. If you know anything about advertising and about business, word of mouth advertising is very valuable, right? If you hear enough people say, you know, I think Buick is the best car. This is my third Buick. And somebody's shaking their head. No, you had a Buick. I think Buick is the best car. I've had three Buicks and I've just never had a problem. And someone else says, me too. It's valuable to hear other people unsolicited. Now, if you find out the person saying it is a Buick salesman, then you have to discount what they say. Let's move on, shall we? We digress. Okay. Um, verse, let's see, where were we? Three. Now he's just going to praise God. Watch verse three. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Now listen, Nebuchadnezzar wanted an eternal kingdom. He's come to realize he can't have it. Only one has it. That's God. He thought, Nebuchadnezzar did, you're going to see, he, Nebuchadnezzar, was great. He thought he was mighty in power. Now he's ascribing those characteristics to whom? God and God only. Oh, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. Now, to have an eternal kingdom, do you know what you have to be? Eternal, right? Because if you die, you can't have an eternal kingdom. The Messiah in the Old Testament was predicted to have a kingdom of which there would be no end, right? Even though he's to be a descendant of King David and a Jewish male descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of that, he's supposed to have an eternal kingdom. The Jews should have realized, wait a minute, eternal kingdom, this has to be God. 
Who else could have an eternal kingdom and be a human being? Hence, Jesus Christ. How greater is science, how greater is mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Now, you and I look at our world right now, okay, and there's wars and there's injustice going on and there's people in power in some countries, some would say our country, that are less than perfect or aren't good at all, some would say, right? And so it might appear to you and I that, well, God's kingdom isn't really happening now. He's not really having that dominion, that power yet over planet Earth. The other theme, theme two, theme one, remember I said of Daniel is never compromise what you believe, no matter what the peer pressure is around you in a pagan culture. Theme two is leaders, kings, generals, presidents come and go. But God picks every single one of them. You say, he does? Romans 13, before we end tonight, we'll look at Romans 13 if the teacher remembers. Romans 13 says the same thing. Every leader on planet Earth has been placed there by God. You say, well, they're not all good. Idi Amin and Mao Zedong and Stalin and Hitler and whoever else, right? They weren't that great. Sometimes countries and societies get the leader they deserve in order to have God's purpose fulfilled. So he's saying his dominion endures from generation to generation. He understands now as powerful as Nebuchadnezzar was that it was all from God that he got the whole ball of wax. The whole kingdom was from him and he put him in power. So now he's going to start telling you the story about what happened. Let's see. Do we want to go to those verses now? No, let's wait. Okay, verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, notice first person. He's writing. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. He's so pleased with himself. Um, anybody here have King James? No, nobody here. How about New American Standard? Anybody have New American Standard? Marita, what does that verse say? Uh, at home in his palace, and what are the adjectives? Verse 4. Okay, no, that's it. Flourishing in his palace. He's at peace. He's in a recliner. He's just on top of the world. Okay? They had recliners then, believe it or not. Okay, maybe made out of stone or rock or something. Okay, um, so he's just so pleased with himself. He's got nothing to worry about. Nobody can possibly conquer his country. He is at home in his beautiful palace. He's contented and prosperous, a new international version has. He's got it all, right? He's the king and God gives him a dream. The dream is not an accident, just like the other dream he had, remember, with the, um, the statue and the different head of gold and all that. Verse 5, I had a dream that made me afraid. Okay? Now, you're going to see from the dream itself, it just seems like a dream. Why be afraid? Nebuchadnezzar gets it. He understands that this is about him. Watch. 
I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. Okay? He had been contented and just in his recliner, rich and counting his money and looking over all his accomplishments and thinking it was all him. Verse 6, so I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. Now, we saw this a couple chapters ago. Remember, he had, there was a whole list, Chaldeans and wise men and astrologers and sorcerers and these supposed wise men, if you remember, he tested them and said, tell me what my dream meant. This is a couple chapters ago. Do you remember? And they said, well, tell us the dream and we'll tell you what it meant. And he said, no, you tell me you're the wise men, right? Uh, and they couldn't do it. They said nobody could do that. Daniel did it, remember? Because he went home and prayed with his three buddies, came back and God revealed to him what the dream was and what it meant but he hasn't learned his lesson. What should he have done? He should have gone right to Daniel. These guys failed last time. Why ask them again? But they're Babylonians and so is he. And he kind of wants to like buy American, you know, if you can, he's going to buy Babylonian for now. So he asked them, uh, have everybody come in, all these wise men, magicians, verse seven, when the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came in, I, see, first person, Nebuchadnezzar talking, I told them the dream. This time he tells them. We're going to hear what the dream was in a second. And they could not interpret it for me. Now, I'm not alone in saying, when you hear the dream, I think you'll agree with me. Most scholars think that's not true. When you hear the dream, you're going to figure it out. We're not enchanters or that smart, any of us, right? You're going to hear the dream and you're going to realize, oh, this is pretty simple, right? So most commentators think this isn't true. It's not that they couldn't interpret it. It's that they didn't want to. Because the dream you're going to see is basically you got to tell the king to his face, well, pal, the dream, what the dream is trying to tell you is, you're in big trouble and your kingdom is going down the tubes. And for seven years, you're going to be out of your mind unless you repent. No king, I'm sorry, no sorcerer, astrologer, diviner, enchanter wants to tell them that to their face for fear of getting their heads cut off. They want to butter him up. So they all go, oh, we don't know what it means. Do you know me either? See you later. So uh, finally, verse eight, Daniel came into my presence, first, play, first person still, came into my presence and I told him the dream, parentheses, he is called Belteshazzar after the name of my God. That's his pagan God he used to believe in. You've heard of Baal, B-A-A-L. They spelled it B-E-L there. And that's the first part of Belteshazzar is Bel, this God, one of many gods, a pagan God. As we've said in the Bible study previously, all those gods are nothing. They're made up by human beings. It's not like there's a bunch of gods up there and our God's the strongest. There's only one God, right? The Hebrew Shema, Shema means here. Uh, in Deuteronomy, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Monotheism. There's only one God. Um, so he's reminding you, uh, his name's Daniel, but we call him, the Babylonians, Belteshazzar, after the name of my God. 
and the spirit of the holy gods, this is still verse eight, is with him. Did you see the word gods there? Plural. He's still a polytheist. Poly means many. Theist God. He still believes in many gods. But he does know the some kind of spirit is with this dude. He can interpret dreams like nobody else was able to. So I'm having him come in to tell me my dream. So I said, verse 9, Belteshazzar, chief of magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you. And no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. Okay. Belteshazzar, I mean, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's retelling the story. This is what happened. So Daniel's there listening and he's going to tell him the dream. Verse 10. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked. So it's sort of a dream and a vision. Dreams, usually you're asleep. Visions, you're awake. And God lets you see things that he wants you to see. Verse 10. Uh, while I was lying in bed, I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. So this is no ordinary tree. It's not a redwood in Yosemite. You know, you've seen some of the, wow, that is a big tree. This is an unusual tree, much taller than the others. It goes up into the atmosphere, it's so big, freakishly big, you might say. Um, let's see, it touched the top, touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Okay, you know, because the earth is round, that's impossible, right? The point is, it's so big, you can see it from outer space. This thing is humongous. Okay, the question, of course, is what's what or who is the tree so far, right? Verse 12, its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Babylonia fed the world, basically. Biggest empire in the world at the time. Seemed impossible that anybody could ever take it over or that the kingdom would end. Um, leaves, okay, fruit abundant on it was food for all. I'm still in verse 12. Under it, the wild animals found shelter and the birds lived in its branches. From it, get this, every creature was fed. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden, God tells uh, Adam, fill the earth, have a bunch of kids and grandkids and great grandkids, fill the earth, populate it, and what else? Subdue it. Have dominion over the earth. Okay, this is a little chance for us to see what happens if men or a man rules the world. We're going to see it again in Revelation, right? The end of the world, the Antichrist rules the whole world, doesn't turn out so well. Here is a man, Nebuchadnezzar, the head of gold from the statue two chapters ago, ruling to the point that every creature is fed from this tree. Got the picture? This amazingly beautiful, but freakishly large tree. Verse 13, in the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked and there before me was a holy one, a watcher, some translations have, a messenger coming down from heaven. Okay. Uh, some scholars think this is Christ again. Most think it's just an angel. Okay. Not enough information to go either way, but I'll throw both of those out to you. Um, so all of a sudden, there's an angel before him. We got the tree and an angel. 
a messenger coming down from heaven. By the way, angel means messenger. Coming down from heaven. He, that's the angel, called in a loud voice. Here it comes. Cut down the tree and trim off its branches. Strip off its leaves. Scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground in the grass of the field. So it's a shocking thing that there's this awesome tree and he's just so admiring it. And all of a sudden, there's a voice from an angel that says, he's giving the order, which is, by the way, why some people think it's Christ. Cut down the tree. The tree is going to be cut down to where it was so tall, it's going to just be a stump. I want you to notice that there's grace here because if you've ever had a tree on your property that you didn't want and you cut it down, do you know what happens? It'll grow back, right? If you really want to get rid of the tree completely, you cut it down and then what do you do? You got to dig the roots out, right? This is not the order. The order is just cut it down, down to, I don't know, four feet tall, two feet tall, 10 feet tall. It's just a stump from that high to that low. And there is to be, uh, let the stump and its roots, uh, let it be there with bronze and iron, wrapped in bronze and iron. If you can picture the stump, let's say it's this big, wrapped in a band of bronze and a band of iron, almost like a fence. Most scholars think this is protection, okay? Some think it's bound, meaning bound from the insanity he's going to have, which is almost comical, but not quite. It's actually a real psychological disorder. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but most thought that it is iron and bronze is going to be protection. Okay, I'll get to why in a little while. Let it remain in the ground and in the grass of the field. So this is a huge demotion for whatever or whoever this tree is to be that big, that beautiful, feeding everybody, cut down to nothing but protected. Okay. Now, let's see, I'm still in the middle of verse 15. Uh, after the word field, in the grass of the field, are you with me? Say amen. amen. Look at the next two words. I have, and NIV has, let him. Do you have the word him there? You say, oh, it's a male tree. No, there's no male, female. That's not even the gender debate here. It's gone from being a tree. The metaphor has changed. It's a person, right? If you were thinking, oh, the tree is Babylonia, Babylon, the kingdom, you're wrong. Let him, the tree is a person. And Nebuchadnezzar's not stupid. That's why he's so afraid. He's wondering, am I the him here? I've got this great, I'm flourishing in my kingdom. I'm rich. I'm powerful. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Him, by the way, refers to the tree, which is now a stump. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Okay, what does that mean? It means for a man who lives in a palace that he's going to be living outdoors, right? You don't get drenched with the dew. We could spend the night in this building. With, no dew would hit us in here. You got to sleep outside to get dew. Wake up. You ever slept outside and you wake up kind of wet like, wow. 
Okay, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. He doesn't mean with the animals like nearby. Well, he had some cattle and some sheep. He means live with the animals. Got the picture? Literally bedding down next to a couple sheep and a goat and a couple of oxen and cattle, whatever. This is a huge demotion. Uh, let him live with the plants outdoors and the animals. Verse 16, let his mind be changed from that of a man let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. What's going on here? Okay, literally, I said he's going to have a mental disorder. And in order to humble him, remember I told you last week, my pastor at Twin Lakes Church, Bill's here, you probably, did you remember Pastor Kraft? Did you ever know him? No? Knew of him. He used to say, what does God have to do to get your attention? Here's the answer for Nebuchadnezzar. I'll get your attention. I'll make you think you're an animal for seven times. Question is, seven times. What does that mean? Seven days, seven weeks, seven months, seven years. Vast majority of scholars say seven years. Seven years of living outside like an animal the reason they think that is Daniel 7, um, the word times comes up again. A time, times, and half a time, meaning, it, and there it means three and a half years. Therefore, a time is probably a year. Seven years, he's going to lose his mind and be um, living outside like an animal, eating grass you're about to see like an animal. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. So no wonder Nebuchadnezzar is a little afraid, more than a little, right? Not only is he getting cut down to nothing, going to lose his mind in a real sense. Verse 17, the decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. Okay, this is an interesting verse 17. Let's take it apart. First of all, he's saying this is not a possibility. This is a decision that's been made. Okay, the decision is announced by the messengers. This is why people think this is an angel because it's announced by the messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict. Some have said that's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I don't know, but it's a verdict and it's a decision um, so that the living may know. When you read the living, it means all people may know, okay? But it's also so who will know? Nebuchadnezzar, right? So that the living uh, may know that the Most High, that's God, God the Father. Old Testament, we use this term a lot, Yahweh. You may have heard it and wondered, what is that? Y-A-H-W-E-H, -E Yahweh. The Jews were told that God's name is four consonants, Y-H-W-H. -H. You with me? 
they considered, the Jews did, the name of God so holy that they would never speak it for fear that they would say it in a way that wasn't pleasing to God and get zapped with a lightning bolt or something. So they called it the Tetragrammaton. It's a fancy term. All it means is four letters, Y-H-W-H. They inserted vowels in there and made it Yahweh, an A and an E. You with me? Now, just to confuse you even more, when the Bible was translated into Greek, the Septuagint, a Y in um, Hebrew becomes a J in Greek. You with me? In other words, Yosef, the name Joseph would become Joseph with a J. Y becomes a J. Okay. So inserting the vowels from the word Adonai, they came up with another name for God. Listen, Jehovah. You ever heard of that? Jehovah's Witnesses, right? Okay. But Yahweh is considered the name of God. Um, when you read the Most High, it's a synonym for God the Father, for God himself, Yahweh, not an angel, God. Why is this being done? So that, I'm in verse 17, the living may know that the Most High, that God himself, is sovereign over the kingdoms on earth. Okay, what does that mean? The word sovereign means absolute rule and authority. If I was sovereign, they would mean that in this group, what I say goes. You people don't have any say, any vote. It would be kind of horrible, right? Wouldn't it? We're so used to democracy where at least we get to vote and have, we can lobby and all that stuff and have representatives. Sovereignty involves a king, one person, no political jokes back there. Um, sovereign means someone is so much in charge that when he wants A and you want B, do you know what's going to happen? A, what he wants. You got it? God is doing this to him so that we, all who are living, may know that he, God, is the one who's sovereign. Who was thinking he was sovereign in his recliner a few hours before the dream? Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't answer to anybody. Remember the statue? He's the head of gold. He has absolute authority. All the other kingdoms have two parts, two arms, or two metals, or two materials, and what have you. He thought he was sovereign. He has learned God is sovereign. That's the first thing. We're still in verse um, 17. Sovereign over, notice, all the kingdoms on earth. All of them. Okay, so today that's China, Russia, America, England, South, all the countries in South America. Never is there an election or a revolution where God is watching saying, oh, look who won. I didn't see that coming. Wrong. Never, ever, ever. He put Nebuchadnezzar in control. Look at the next phrase, sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth, and he, that's implied, gives them, God does, to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest, lowliest people. God is the one who gave the kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was sovereign. Nebuchadnezzar thought he had, because he was so strong as a warrior and so great a builder and so great a leader and so, so much wisdom and intelligence that that's why he was the leader. Eh, wrong, wrong, and wrong. The problem with power, have you heard this saying? Power 
corrupts. You ever heard that one? And then you always hear this one. Absolute power corrupts how, class? Absolutely. When you have too much power with Joe, the only one in control, probably it's going to go to my head, right? And I'm going to think, I am so great. And I'm not, right? The whole thing with God is understanding who we are and who God is. And there's no comparison. He's not the man upstairs. You ever heard hear that? I hate that. That implies he's like us, but he's up there. Come on. He's not the man upstairs. Okay. Um, much higher than we are. Uh, go ahead, Bill. Where, where, by the way, I didn't make this announcement. Um, if you have a question and you're here, try to keep it to one sentence because I have to repeat what you say because the people on Zoom can't hear you. Go ahead, Bill. He, Jesus, yes. Oh, right. Uh, you're talking about Luke 4? Yeah, right. And then also in John, it talks about Satan being like the God of this world. Yeah. Right. God, Satan being the, yeah, Satan being the God small g of this world. And he's saying that when Satan tempted uh, Jesus in Luke 4, he offered him all the kingdoms of the world if he would just worship them. Jesus is Lord over all of them. Now, all, he tells the disciples after the resurrection, you remember, all authority has been given to me in heaven and where else? On earth. All authority. Pretty amazing. Uh, good point, Bill. Um, so that's why this is happening. Um, so that the living may know that the most high God is sovereign, has total control over all the kingdoms and gives them to anyone he wishes. Verse 18. This is the dream that I, Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, that's the other, that's the Babylonian name for Daniel. Now, Belteshazzar, Daniel, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But you can, because the spirit of the holy gods, plural, which must make Daniel want to throw up, right? Don't tell me about gods. There's only one God, is in you. He knows some kind of a special supernatural spirit is in Daniel. So um, he doesn't, Daniel is going to not really want to tell him the truth. We'll see next. Um, let's see. Verse 19. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, he wants you to understand there's two names for this dude, was greatly perplexed for a time and his thoughts terrified him okay so daniel in his body language or his facial expression changes because he knows you're the tree and you're going to get cut down and you're it's going to be literally fulfilled right this is not symbolic language the tree was but the fact that he's going to eat grass and think he's an animal we're about to see happens how literally right the way it's said as a means of humbling this guy, knocking him off his high horse and taking away his pride. God, believe it or not, has chosen Nebuchadnezzar. You mean to rule Babylon? Yes, but he's also chosen Nebuchadnezzar to be saved because he could have just as easily said, 
I'm going to blow up the tree and there won't even be dust left. You're done, dude. And he could drop dead and there'll be a new leader coming in. In grace, God gives him this last chance. I'm going to humble you to the point where your face is going to be in the grass, in the dirt for seven years. Okay. But then you'll have a chance to repent. Pretty amazing. So Daniel knows the truth and Daniel is unafraid. How do you know that, Joe? Well, why is he perplexed there? I'll tell you why. He's not afraid. Daniel's not afraid to die. Daniel knows who he believes. But Daniel has grown to love as a good friend, Nebuchadnezzar. You get the feeling that when Daniel prays, we'll find that out in a chapter or two, he's praying for Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? Pretty amazing. A pagan king, come on, that prideful jerk, and, and you'll never get through to him. We're about to learn some other things about Nebuchadnezzar that we haven't been told yet in what Daniel says, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Okay. So he's greatly perplexed for a time, verse 19. His thoughts terrified him. So the king said, the king recognizes, oh, you're upset. Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, my Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries, it's not good. I like you. You're my friend. I've been praying for you. I wish I didn't have to tell you what I'm about to tell you, right? It's not good news, is it? Um, let's see. I'm saving that for later. Let's keep rolling. So now here comes the explanation. Before he tells them the explanation, starting in verse 20, he's going, Daniel's going to reiterate the dream to make sure um, Nebuchadnezzar understands, I get it. I, I heard everything you said. I know what the dream was. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong with its top touching the sky, this is verse 20, visible to the whole earth with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Verse 22. You ever, you ever had a big Band-Aid on and when you were a kid and you're, you're like, you have to take it off and like it hurts and what do they tell you? Just rip it off. Just get it over with, right? Daniel's just going to rip the Band-Aid off. Verse 23, uh, 22. Your majesty... You are that tree. Everything the tree is, you are. Everything that happens to the tree that's a total bummer is going to happen to you. But you're going to see there's a chance to repent coming up. Your majesty, you are that tree. Reminds me of David with Nathan. Do you remember that? Where Nathan tells him the story about a guy that is doing horrible things. And David says, that man should die. And what does Nathan say? You are that man. Remember, remember, your majesty, you are that tree. He tells him what the, uh, the magicians and the sorcerers and all the others were afraid to tell him. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Nebuchadnezzar likes this part. Thank you very much. Yeah, I appreciate that you noticed. Verse 23, your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven saying, 
cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze and the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. He's reiterating this. I'm going to make you understand. I got the whole dream. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. Total reiteration of the dream. Verse 24, this is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord, the King. Yikes. The God of heaven has issued a decree against you, King. Verse 25. Oh, you know what? Let's stop right there and take our two-minute break. I just saw it's about 10 minutes of. We always take two minutes to just stretch our aging bodies. So don't go away. I'm going to turn my screen and my mic off. I'll be back in two minutes. Don't go away. Find your seats, if you will, and we'll get started again. Back to this strange dream and what it means. Let me find my notes. There we go. Okay, so he, we're in verse 24. Here comes the interpretation, and it's pretty scary. It's the decree that God has issued against my Lord, the King. Verse 25, you will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals you will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven living outside. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the most high God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Okay, pretty plain, right? And as you heard the dream unfold, you probably figured out this tree is being cut down. Something very bad is going to happen to it. The amazing thing that we haven't talked about yet that I'll mention now. Remember, there's a stump. Ready? Right? The leaves are and branches are stripped. The fruit is stripped away. It's all gone. Tree is cut down. All there is is a stump. Why the bands around the tree? Okay? Most scholars think that is God's protection. Okay? Because in history... Um, a lot of what Nebuchadnezzar did was recorded. There is a seven-year period in his reign where nothing is recorded, okay? Now, if I was a sovereign ruler, let's say that we're a nation, and instead of being 22, 25, whatever we are, people, let's say it's 100 million people in my nation, I'm the sovereign ruler, and for seven years, I go crazy and start getting on my hands and knees, eating grass, sleeping outside, and snorting like an ox. What would happen in a political environment? Somebody would take over, right? Somebody that's been waiting, the vice president, the assistant king, my son, some foreign army would come and take us over because the king is nuts now. He's eating grass, right? He's grazing on his lawn in front of his house. It doesn't happen. Nobody harms the kingdom. Daniel, it is thought, tells all the other officials, trust me on this. Leave it alone. He's coming back. Okay, because Daniel's a prophet. 
Nobody invades from another country. Nobody takes it over. There's no coup. There's no revolution. There's no impeachment, right? He's unfit. The 25th, is it the 25th Amendment? Yeah. He's not fit for office. There's none of that. They just let him alone. But it is a, one of the most bizarre scenes. Can you imagine a grown man who's in these flowing robes? He was now living outside, no longer speaking, right? Away from people. He's more comfortable. He's given the mind of an animal, right? Eating grass. And I don't mean like this, take a handful and eat it. I mean, putting his face in the grass eating. Okay. Don't make me draw you a picture. Okay. <laughs> Uh, you are that tree. Pretty, a pretty amazing thing. Um, by the way, there's other writings from this time where um, leaders of countries are compared to trees. So this wasn't an unknown symbol. Probably that's why Nebuchadnezzar went, oh, I'm the tree. Look how beautiful it is. Oh no, here comes the buzzsaw cutting it down. What's going to happen to me? So, um, the idea that heaven rules is a big deal here. Um, we'll talk about that later. Uh, so this is the most humiliating fate. Somebody that high up with that big of an ego, right? And a bunch of yes men could possibly uh, imagine. So there's the idea of humbling one's self here. Um, we'll get back to that. Let's keep reading though. Let's see. Um, so Daniel's as forcefully as he can, he's saying, verse 25, the whole thing, driven away, living with animals, eating grass like the ox. Um, oh, I want to find that term. It's in here somewhere. Okay, so it must be on the previous page. There is a psychological um, condition that is, uh, and I can't find it, but it's in the notes. Oh, no, here it is. Boanthropy. Okay, this is a real thing where there's two at least cases that have been documented where somebody lost their mind and in boanthropy, you think you're an ox. And there was a whole paragraph in one of the commentaries about doctors that wrote about this. They observed it and the guy, a man had it and would not come indoors and lived outside and literally ate grass and only drank water. And it's a legitimate a thing that can occur. Am I saying that this happened on its own? No, I'm saying God struck him with this in order to humble him. That's the whole key here, right? I'm, I'm reading notes here. Um, okay, let's keep rolling because we didn't get through with the uh, interpretation yet, did we? Um, this is going to happen for seven times. Uh, until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. You didn't earn this kingdom. You didn't deserve this kingdom. By the way, you're all listening. Hopefully you are not asleep, but you're all listening to this in the third person. And that's okay. That's the way I've presented it now. Meaning this is a story about that guy, right? Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to show you that this is a story about you in a second. You say, I'm not a king. Stand by. Okay, go back to the text. Um, Until you acknowledge the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms, gives them to anyone he wishes. Verse 26, the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be 
restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Okay, now the Jews had a habit of trying not to use the name of God. Heaven ruling doesn't mean a place rules. It's synonymous with God rules. You with me? The most high God rules. Verse 27, therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. He's done explaining the dream. Now comes the advice of a prophet of God, who the king even said has the spirit of God in him. Now be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins. This sentence, we're going to learn stuff we didn't know about Nebuchadnezzar. Renounce your sins by doing what is right. Okay. This sounds like the sinner's prayer, by the way, coming to faith in Christ. Number one, repent right? Renounce your sins. Listen, you can't renounce your sins until you admit, I, I have sinned. What is the Bible? New Testament, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Step one, he's got to say, I'm not perfect. I'm not comfortable in my kingdom on my recliner. I've sinned. I've done the wrong thing. He needs to repent means make a turn on the road of life, a U-turn. You were going this way. Now you're going to go that way. You're sorry for your sin. That's one thing. Some people are sorry just because they got caught, right? You're sorry for your sin, but you're also saying, I don't want to do this anymore. Help me to repent and go the other way. Number one, renounce your sins. This is Daniel's advice by doing what is right and your wickedness this is interesting. First time we learn this by being kind to the oppressed. What does that mean? Listen, it is inevitable. We said power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Remember that it's inevitable when someone rises to that much sovereign power that they start to think they are so great and so smart and so powerful, and you little people are somehow lesser human beings. With that comes the taking advantage of and the mistreatment of those that are poor or oppressed. He, from this verse, King Nebuchadnezzar, we learn, has oppressed poor people, okay? He's taken advantage. It's uh, a top-down kingdom, he gets 90% and he throws a few extra little scraps to the peons, the little people, right? You know from the New Testament, don't you? Jesus Christ, it's the upside down kingdom. Who does Jesus Christ exalt among people? Children who were considered third class citizens, women. First person to see Jesus rise from the dead is a woman, right? Who else? Jesus hangs out with tax collectors, people everybody hated, with the lowest in society, people that nobody would touch or get next to, a leper. Jesus says, come here, let me touch you, which no one would touch a leper. It's the upside down kingdom, right? Where the poor are to be treated equitably, fairly. He says, renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. That implies he was not kind to the oppressed. He didn't care about them. It may be then that then your prosperity will continue. You know what this is? God has decreed a huge judgment on you, Nebuchadnezzar, but there's still 
time. Repent now. The commentators went into all kinds of speculation about this, but I don't think it's speculation. What if Nebuchadnezzar had gotten on his knees right then and said, you know what? I'm so, you're right. I'm so sorry. I recognize he's the one true God. There's no other God. I've oppressed the poor. I'm turning over a new leaf. I'm going to give to the poor. I'm going to remember Zacchaeus, the, you know, that whole thing. He changes his mind. I'm going to help out these people that I've oppressed. I'm going to help the poor. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Would he still have the tree had been cut down? I don't think so. I think God would have went, you got the point. But see, some people, what does God have to do to get your attention? Some people only listen to God when they look up when they're in a hospital bed and there's nowhere else to look, or they're desperate. He's got to make Nebuchadnezzar desperate. It takes a lot to take a big ego like that and knock it off its high horse. Look at the apostle Paul. What happened to him? Christ knocked him off his high horse, do you remember? And blinded him. Remember, three days you can't see anything. Talk about a humbling experience that makes you think, hmm, what have I done wrong? Where do I need to change? Therefore, here's my advice, he says, renounce your sins, do what's right. Your wickedness, renounce it by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue, meaning without interruption. There's no need to get the, the chainsaw out. Okay, so you would think with Daniel's past record, the king would go, yeah, I think you're right. But his ego is just too big. Okay, now let's step on some toes and make it personal. Nobody here is a king, right? Nobody is. But to the extent that you have any, listen, financial blessing or security, uh, money in the bank, uh, to the extent that you have any achievement in your life, okay? I have a degree from college, a master's degree, a PhD, whatever it may be. To the extent that you have achieved things, no matter what it is, okay? All the knowledge you have, all the talents, um, the good health that you have, if you take credit for any of that, guess who Nebuchadnezzar is? It's you, it's me, for sitting in our recliners going, I've done pretty well. At that second, that's pride, has pride opened the door and in floods all kinds of sin. Pride comes before a fall. It doesn't mean autumn for those of you that live in Oakhurst. It means fall, meaning something the tree's gonna fall, right? We, listen, we said in the Mark study um, that by world standards, listen, every single person, all of you that are here and all of you on Zoom, by world standards are all, wait for it, rich. Average income per person in the world is $2,300 a year, a year. Okay. Do you make more than $200 a month? Guess what that makes? Oh, be quiet. He said, no, that makes you rich. A third of the world doesn't know where they're going to get the food for tomorrow. Do you have any food in your house? By world standards, everybody here is rich, including me. And you know what? We're used to it. We're Americans. Of course we have food. Of course. 
well, I worked hard in school and I worked hard at my job and my career and I used my talents and I, wait, where did you get the talents? Where did you get the health to be able to work? She's pointing up. Very good. You get an A, Marlene. Where did you get the good health to be able to work? Listen, do you realize you didn't pick when you were going to be born and where? You could have been born in the 14th century in Africa, and you would have been dead 30 years ago. Or maybe not gotten out of diapers, right? It's all grace. It's all God placing you. Remember, he's sovereign over the kingdoms. He's also sovereign over Joe's life and Marita's life and Bill's life. Don't make it about Nebuchadnezzar. It's just about you. To the extent that you and I are prideful about anything we are or have achieved or our knowledge or the thing about pride is you start to look down your nose at those who he's not as smart as me, or he's not as strong as I am, or he doesn't have as much money or as, and you know what? It's all on loan to use Rush Limbaugh's term from God, right? It's all on loan from him. Notice loan, right? Because you can't take it with you. You ever see a hearst with a U-Haul behind it? No. You know why? Because you can't take it with you. So to the extent that you and I get prideful about anything, we're in this boat. And look out, because pride comes before a fall, not autumn fall. We already covered that. Um, okay, so here is Nebuchadnezzar with a decision to make. But it's hard to unseat that big of an ego. Let's see what happens. Verse 28, are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Okay, great. Um, yeah, some of you are waving good on Zoom. I love that. Verse 28, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, this is Daniel editing here. He's writing because Nebuchadnezzar, third person, right? Verse 29, here's the grace of God. 12 days later, is that what it says? 12 months later. What does that mean? Did Nebuchadnezzar not understand what Daniel said? No, he understood. It was clear as a bell. God gave him a year. Wake up. He could have said, I'll give you 20 minutes. Get on your knees or else. One whole year to think about it. 12 months later, verse 29, as the king was walking on the roof, the highest point of the royal palace of Babylon, imagine that building. He said, this is Nebuchadnezzar. You know, I've really been way too conceited and way too prideful. I need to humble myself. Is that what it says? Is this not the great Babylon? Let me accent a few words for you. Is this not the great Babylon? God's the one that's great. I have built as the royal, who's the real king? God, residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. If, if you can't see the pride, the conceit, and the big ego there, good Lord, he, he needs to really have a little humbling. Keep your finger in Daniel. We haven't taken a detour yet. I want you to turn to the left and go to um, the book of Isaiah. So that's three books to the left, if my math is right. I want you to go to Isaiah 14 for a second. Isaiah 14, three books to the left. Very easy to find. 
Isaiah chapter 14. And I think we want, yeah, okay. Isaiah 14. There's two passages in the Bible, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. They're easy to remember because 14 times two is 28. I'm a math nerd. Uh, Ken and I were talking about math. Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, we're going to look at in a second, are the two passages in the Bible that explain the answer the question, how did Satan, who was an exalted angel, end up being such a jerk, becoming Satan? Verse 12 of Isaiah 14. This is about Satan's fall. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I'm going to accent one word, see if you can figure out which one it is. You have said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly. On the utmost heights of the sacred mountain, I will ascend. To the tops of the clouds, I will make myself like God, like the Most High. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Okay, what's going on here? This is absolute ego. You find out why did Satan fall? Because he wanted to be like God. He didn't want to play second fiddle to anybody. Now take a right turn. Go two books to the right to Ezekiel 28. Oddly enough, it's the same verse, verse 12 and following. Ezekiel 28. So a few books to the right. Ezekiel 28, starting in verse 12. The word of the Lord, let's see, no, 12. is son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Satan was a powerful and beautiful angel. It is thought he might have been another of the archangels along with Gabriel and Michael. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Who was in Eden? Only three. Adam, that's not who he's talking about. Eve, it's not who he's talking about. The serpent, the devil, right? You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Sounds like Nebuchadnezzar. Ruby, topaz, emerald, chrysolite, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Those will be on the test. You might want to write that down. Your, your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub. That's a special angel. For so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. I drove you in disgrace from the Mount of God. I expelled you, O guardian cherub. Your heart became proud, verse 17. On account of your beauty, you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. Okay, enough of that. That's how Satan got to be Satan. One word, pride, right? Pride says... I did it Sinatra, my way, right? Don't make me sing the song. That's what pride says. Pride says, I don't need you. If I do, I'll call on you, but I'm self-sufficient, right? I pulled myself up from my own bootstraps, right? He who, has, who, who dies with the most toys wins. You ever see that bumper sticker? Absolute insanity. So let's go back to the text here. 
Um, let's see, did we pick it up? Yeah, 12 months. And look at the prideful statement he makes. Isn't this the great Babylon I've built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Nebuchadnezzar doesn't understand that every gift were given because he was given gifts of, of being able to build and being a leader. It was all supposed to be for God's glory, not for his own. You ever see in the Olympics or the World Series or the Super Bowl or the NBA Finals or some sporting event where somebody wins and they put a stick a mic in his face and the guy says, um, Muhammad Ali, what did he say? Do you remember? I am the greatest, right? Did God humble him? But do you ever see when someone says, I want to give all the glory to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave me these abilities and this opportunity. And I always think, awesome. You don't see it much anymore, do you? Same thing, person wins an Academy Award or a Grammy or whatever. Um, I want to thank my Lord and Savior for this and this opportunity and giving God the glory. We are here to be the moon. You go, what? Listen, you know what the moon does? It reflects the sun right? Has no light of its own. All it does is say, all this light you see, it's coming from the sun. Back to the text. Are you still awake? Say amen. Okay. That's Nebuchadnezzar's purpose, but that's your purpose as well, to bring glory to God and not let anything go to your head. Um, so that's what he said. Great Babylon, I built it. My power, my glory, my majesty. Verse 31. No more grace, period. You know, in football, there's a two-minute warning. He doesn't even get the two-minute warning. He had a year warning. Even as the words were on his lips, verse 31, a voice came from heaven. This is to confirm. It's not just a coincidence that you're going to lose your mind. God goes, this is me doing it in case you don't know I'm sovereign. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken away from you. Verse 32, you will be driven away from people, sound familiar, and live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until there's grace, right? He could have just killed them. Until you acknowledge that the most high God is sovereign over all the kingdoms and all the households, may I say, on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Verse 33, immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. Is anybody surprised when God says something? Happens, right? Bank on it. Before we move on, just quickly, parenthetically, I want you to notice what was predicted to happen I said it earlier, but I want to expound on it, was not symbolic, right? I'm sure there were scholars going, well, what does the grass symbolize? It means grass. What does it mean that he's going to be like an ox? He's going to be a big brute of a man. It means he's going to act like an ox. What's your point, Joe? The first time the Christ came to the earth, there were somewhere between 300 and 330 predictions in the Old Testament about this Messiah figure. And I'm sure the Jewish scholars would study those and think, hmm, what does that symbolize? And what does that symbolize? And what, what can we understand from that language? My point is, it was all literal. 
the Messiah was predicted to be born in Bethlehem. Guess where he was born? Bethlehem. I'm sure there were people going, Bethlehem, house of bread. That's what that means. So maybe he's going to be born in a bakery. Or could it mean a donut shop? of some... It means Bethlehem. Betrayed by a close friend for 30 pieces of silver. His mother will be a virgin. He will um, be betra betrayed. I already said that. The, the betrayal will be for 30 pieces of silver, which will be thrown in the temple, used to buy a potter's field. They'll pierce his hands and his feet and his side. And none of his bones will be broken, even though crucifixion, it was always the case. You break the legs of the crucifixion victim. He'll rise from the dead. Um, all these predictions came through literally. All these predictions in Daniel came through literally. What's your point, Joe? Get to the point. We're almost asleep. Listen, there are all kinds of predictions about the second coming of the Lord Jesus. Hmm, what does that mean? It probably means just what it says, right? Don't try to over-symbolic, symbolicize. Is that a word? It is now. Shall we move on? Okay. Gee. All right. Um, so, um, so notice that it happened immediately. He gave him a, a year grace period. It happened immediately. Um Let's see, driven away from mankind, verse 33, eating grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven. His hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. What does that mean? Been there a long time. Doesn't happen overnight, does it? How many know about Howard Hughes? At one time, one of, if not the richest man in the world. When he died, he had really long fingernails, crazy long hair, which he wouldn't wash. He would just became kind of a lunatic right what's meant with the nails like bird's claws means he's not doing hygiene nobody's getting the nail clipper out right or whatever they would use his hair is matted and grown long like feathers he's acting like a wild beast because he is right he is he's got to be humbled to realize who he is in that period of those seven years, Nebuchadnezzar, because of his past, did not view the three things accurately. What are the three things, Joe? Number one, God, right? He was way off. There's many gods. I know you're up there, the Jewish God, but I've got my God, Baal, and Marduk was the other big God in, in um, Nebuchadnezzar's time, but there were many others. He's got a wrong view of God. What else does he have? Wrong view of himself. I am the greatest. Wrong. No, you're not. And a wrong view of people. They're all lesser than me, right? What does Jesus say? If you would become, uh, he who would become a leader must be a servant of all, right? Wrong view of God, wrong view of yourself leads to a wrong view of others. He is going to get humbled and get to understand who he is, who God is, and who other people are. We'll see that in a second. Are you still awake? Almost done. Um, okay. Let's see. So seven years goes by between 33 and 34. But verse 34 says, at the end, but at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, we're back to the first person now. He wants to tell you, this is what happened to me. This is my testimony. 
If you don't believe in the God of heaven, listen to me, he's saying. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. That's it. That's all he did. Listen, if you're an ox, it's all you can do, right? You can't, I wrote a soliloquy about God. He can't write, he's an ox. All he can do is lift up his big hairy head with the big long nails to heaven, symbolically meaning I'm looking up toward heaven, meaning heaven is higher than I am. I'm realizing, he came to his senses, watch. I raised my eyes toward heaven, verse 34, and my reason, sound mind, returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, that's God, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. The very thing God wanted him to learn, he learned. He had multiple opportunities before this. Now he had seven years of humility to figure it out. But he got it, didn't he? Um, look at the how much I is in there. All is I blessed the most high. I praised and honored him who lives forever. His dominions, everlasting dominion. His, there's no more me, my kingdom. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Verse 35, all the inhabitants of the earth are of no account. Meaning what? Including me. That's what he's saying. We're all compared to God, we're of no account. But he, God, does according to his will among the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. What's that? Among the angels in that dimension of heaven and on the earth, God does what he wants. What does that mean? He's sovereign. He finally gets it. And who isn't sovereign, Nebuchadnezzar? He would say, me, I'm not. Um, and, among the, and no one can fend off his hand or say to him, what have you done? It's another way of saying total sovereignty. I recognize you're it, not me. We will see next week what happens to him. Um, but he is in this book for two more sentences and then he's gone because he lives a while longer and he dies. We'll talk about that and other things next week. Questions or comments here before we sign off? We always quit a little early because I have to... Um, quit here too. Uh, go ahead, Dave Monkey, nice and loud. Uh, Herod was not given 12 months. No, Herod didn't, neither was, um, neither was Pharaoh, but Pharaoh was given 10 plagues to figure it out, Pharaoh. But the Lord's not slow about his promise, he's saying. but is patient toward you, not, not willing for any for, to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Listen, if you're watching this or you're sitting in this room right now with me and you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, what he just said is right. God is being very patient with you, right? His patience doesn't go on forever. There's a point in which the end comes, right? That could be the second coming of the Lord Jesus, at which time it's too late to go, Okay, now I believe. Did it work? Too late. Eh, the bell has rung, right? The buzzer went off. Or the other thing is, 
God forbid you could die suddenly, you could hit by a bus and have a heart attack and who knows, right? We said last week, the Bible says every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Beat the rush and do it now. Because the other ones that are unbelievers that are about to be judged, they do it reluctantly before they're sent to hell. But they acknowledge it. Every single one will acknowledge Jesus Christ is Lord. Um, let's see. Do um, share this Bible study with other people. You're doing a great job with it. We have a good crowd on Zoom and a good crowd in this room. And uh, despite the teacher, but the Holy Spirit came through again. Let's pray and we'll get out of here, shall we? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this time. We could study your word and boy, we see ourselves. We can all get a little full of ourselves and a little prideful and a little, oh, just self-focused God. Help us to realize that we're here to reflect you and your glory and bring glory to you and that it's not about us. Help us not to look down our nose at anyone, but to realize that you are in control and you're the one that has given us the time, the talents, the treasure, and we ought to be giving it right back to you, Father. May we never glory in our position or our status or our possessions. All the glory to you, Father. We ask that you would bless these truths to our hearts and change the way we think and the way we live. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope to see you next week. Those of you on Zoom, I'm going to sign off now, and uh, I don't usually come back on now because I've got people here that are very needy. <laughs> Anyway, have a great night. God bless you. Thanks for being here.
Just wanted to say a quick hello. I see my granddaughter there. How are you, sweetheart? Let me see if I can do this. Allow participants to unmute themselves. Now I think you can hit mute, the mute button or the microphone button and unmute yourself if you want. Are you there, Bella? Yeah. How are you, sweetheart? I'm good. Good. I still have people here, so it's a little hard to hear, but oh, I, I see you, Carolyn and Cornelia and, and Francine, and of course, Sherry's there and Ronnie and, and Bev. Welcome to you all. Anyway, I just want to say, and Jim and Bev, welcome to you guys too. Thank you for being here. And, um, and Bella, we'll see you guys this weekend. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> okay, love you all. God bless. Good night. Bye, Manu.